Well, good morning again, and welcome to Mount Calvary Church. My name is Matt Watson, and I'm the lead pastor, and we're grateful that we can come together, that we can worship. Uh, we want to we welcome you. Uh, if you're new to Mount Calvary, there's a connection card in the seat in front of you. It's a really good way for us to get to know you, to get you connected to our ministries. If you have a question about anything, you can fill that out, drop that in the welcome desk, uh, put it in the offering box. But our heart is uh, we want to we want to help you. We want to care for you. We want to help you take a step as you follow Jesus. We want to be praying for you. And so for anyone here, uh, we meet and we pray as a staff and elders. Um, there's a place on the back of that connection card that we would love to be praying for you. What's going on in your life? So let us know that. Uh, but we also want to help you get connected. That church isn't just about coming on a Sunday morning. Really, the heart and the life of church is, is relationships. And so if you are new or you're disconnected or you want to meet some people at the church, there's a couple ways that you can do that. We've got community groups, some groups that'll meet tonight and throughout the week, uh, families that get together to talk about the sermon, to do a Bible study, to pray, to enjoy their time with each other. And so if you want to be in a community group, come talk to Pastor Ray or myself. We've got grow groups that meet throughout the week. These are groups of three men or three women that meet to confess sin, to study God's Word, uh, to pray for each other, to memorize God's Word. And so we've got these groups that meet all throughout the week, early morning, late at night, during the day. And so, uh, again, our heart is we, we want to we get you connected, and we want to help you grow as a disciple. And so you could reach out to any of our staff, Elizabeth, or any of our pastors, and we'd love to help get you connected. So here's where we are this morning. We're in our discipleship journey. We've been on this journey. It's a long journey, it feels like. Nine weeks now, uh, we're kind of coming to the end of this. And so I was kind of reflecting on, on where we've been and kind of where we're going. And this has, been, this has been so good for me personally. I think it's been good for our staff and our elders to really think about who are we as a church and what are we going to do? You know, the words that Jesus says over and over through his ministry that kind of, that kind of uh, propelled us into this series are the words when Jesus says over and over, follow me. Follow me. And he interacts with the poor and the rich, the sick and the needy, women and men, religious and irreligious. And what does he say all through his ministry over and over again? He calls people and he says, wherever you are, follow me. And that our heart in this series has been, like, how do we follow Jesus in this way? Because that's the call for you, for your life, that God made you right now, wherever you are, to follow him, to be in step with him. And so for us as a church to think, how do we help people follow him? Because when we follow Jesus, we are living the life that he made us to live. The, the one description in John 8 tells us of the benefit of following Jesus, that, we, that he is the light of the world, that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. How can we together as his church follow him and experience the benefits of, of living in the light of life. And so that's been kind of our prayer. That's been our question. And so as we kind of looked at, again, what does it mean to follow Jesus? We saw that this was pretty different in this culture. 
that when Jesus said to people, follow me, people understood this as a discipleship relationship, that there was a master teacher and there was a student. And this was a very, this was very normal for the Jewish boy or for the Jewish girl. And they would say, I will give up my life 10 years sometimes to follow this discipler around, to learn, to become like them so that I could be sent out to be my own discipler for this person. And so for us, it's, it's been, well, if it was pretty, it's a pretty different culture, right? Following someone today looks very different than it did uh, for the Jewish boy or for the Jewish girl or the man or the woman. And so the question has been, how might we today take the picture of following Jesus in this Jewish culture and how might we translate it to, to our lives today? And so as we've done that, uh, we could, I'll put up the, the, three that are, the three steps that are in your bulletin. We've kind of landed on, we want to help you become a disciple. That to follow Jesus the way that he, he wants you to, be, it, it has a starting point. That it's not your default to just be following Jesus with your life, but your default is actually, it's the opposite. That you aren't following him and you're living life the way that you want to live your life. But there comes a time where you are broken over your sin and repentance and you say, I place my faith in the man Jesus and what he's done for me. And it's a definitive starting point to the journey. And as a church, we want to help people know for sure that they've done that. Because until you know for sure that you have started, that you have become then, then there's no use talking about anything else. And so we want to be a church that helps people take that step in faith and repentance and then publicly saying, I'll be baptized. I will proclaim this. And then after that, as, as Jesus does this, he, fought, he calls people to follow him, to believe in him. And then what does he do? He takes them to the hillside. And he says, I want to, I want to teach you. I want to show you what does it mean to follow me. And the, the, a really good example of this is the Sermon on the Mount. This beautiful hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. They're surrounding Jesus, and Jesus is teaching them how to love and how to pray, how to serve and how to give and how to think, how to act and how to be as a, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. And so as we've thought about, okay, how might we grow as a disciple? We've We've listed these habits that we think these are things that people who follow Jesus as a disciple, these are things that they do. And so we want to put our resources and our time and our energy helping each of us take a step in our, in our habits and in our disciplines as we seek to not just know him, but to become like him and to grow with him. But listen, this, this is not the end of the series, like the series isn't, it doesn't end with the Sermon on the Mount where we're sitting with Jesus or we're sitting here in church and we're learning and we're intaking and we're soaking it in and, and then we go home and then we do our habits. We study our Bible and we pray and we give and we serve and we're part of the community. Like that's, that's, not, the, that's not the series. The series doesn't end with you doing your habits because that's not the picture that Jesus gives with being a disciple. Because here's the, the reality is, if, if the discipleship journey was just those first two, you become and then you grow, uh, none of us would be sitting in this room today. None of us would be sitting in this room if 
following Jesus was primarily your faith in him and growing as a disciple. And aren't, aren't you glad that someone had the courage enough to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus? I was just thinking about that. Like, if we don't do this third step of going and making disciples, then th this is it. Like, this room is gonna become empty at some point. And I was just thinking of the people that were in my life that took this third step that had impact on my life. The pastor that took me, a pretty messed up kid, and shared with me the truth for the first time. Showed me my sin, called me out on my sin, shared the gospel with me, grabbed me and hugged me through my tears and said, this is, this is the gospel. This is what it means to follow Jesus. His name is Everett Kyer. And he just took me in, invited me to his home. He taught me and discipled me. He baptized me. And he gave his life for me. He, he spent time with me, poured his time into me so that I would grow as a disciple. He eventually married Ashley and I. We still talk even today. It's been 20-some years. And Everett is still encouraging me. And it's because of his obedience to not just grow and to take in, but to go and to make disciples that I'm here. And I think what we see in the New Testament is this, that if we're gonna follow Jesus, then we have to be going and making disciples. Like you, if you aren't going and making disciples, you, you have to ask yourself, am I following Jesus? Because following Jesus is not just about doing good Christian things, but following Jesus is I will go and I will make disciples. And so this morning what we wanna do is we wanna look at Luke 9 and Luke 10 how do we go and make disciples as his messengers? Next week with Pastor Jonathan, we're going to look at Luke 10, continue in Luke 10. How do we go and make disciples as neighbors? So the first part of Luke 9 and 10 this morning, how do we go and make disciples as messengers? Next week with Jonathan, how do we go and make disciples as neighbors? Let's pray and then we'll, we'll get into the word. Father, we're thankful. Each of us are thankful that there was someone that came into our lives and shared the gospel with us. That following you for that person was not just habits, that it was more than just that, that it was sharing your truth with others. And so, Father, we're thankful for that person. I'm thankful for Everett and for his ministry in my life. And God, I pray that we would see the urgency, that we would see the call that we would see the urgency, and, and I recognize that this is uncomfortable for a lot of us. This, is, this gets us out of our sweet spot, our comfort zone, uh, but God, I pray that by your Spirit that you would work in our hearts and in our lives. We want to be your disciple, whatever that is, and so God, I pray that by your Spirit you would convict us, you would encourage us, you would teach us, you would burden us that we might be the disciple that you created us to be. We need your help. We need your help. So we ask for in the name of your Son and by the Spirit, amen. So if you could, I was going to say turn in your Bible. I, I went ahead and printed this out for you, Luke 9 and Luke 10, 
Don't be overwhelmed by this. Lots of colors, lots of texts. I love this. This is what I, I love to do. Uh, you know, I was looking for a passage this week. I, I was focused in on Luke 10, and as I'm studying and thinking and digging into the text, I, I realized that this is pretty repetitious in Luke 9 and Luke 10. And oftentimes when you repeat something, especially just a few verses apart, there is a, there is a point by which Luke is doing this, a point that Luke wants us to see. And so I'm really thrilled and jazzed up this morning. I'm going to dial it back a little. We're going to read Luke. We're going to read all of it. So, um, and then we're going to look, and we're going to look at the comparison, and we're going to, and we're going to learn what is Luke screaming at us. He's not, this is like, he's not screaming, but like he is making a point that he wants us to see because he repeats it over and over and over again. And so we want to see that point, and then we want to say, let's go and live this point. Um, so I'll start in Luke 9. And he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons to cure d- diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel, healing everywhere. Verse 51, and when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and to consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, Know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So we got these three passages. You got your color key, and those are kind of the four points this morning. The message, or the mission, the message, the instructions, and the response. So mission, message, instructions, response. Let's start with the mission, or the call What is Jesus telling his disciples 
to do. 9.2, he is sending them. 9.52, he's sending them ahead of him. 10.1, he's sending them on ahead of him. And what we see here in Luke 9 and Luke 10, if you kind of read the whole, the, the kind of the bigger picture of the story, okay, there is a shift happening in the ministry of Jesus. And the key verse in the whole gospel, but really here in, in the, these passages is Luke 9.51. Something is changing with Jesus' ministry. When the day drew near, verse 51, for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Like this is the hinge. This is, this is the catalyst for the change that's happening in the ministry of the disciples. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Like this is, this is the, the high point. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He hasn't been faced with Jerusalem. It hasn't been time, but now it is time in the disciples just to to be clear, they, they have no idea what it means for Jesus to go to Jerusalem. Or, or they have an idea, it's just the wrong idea. Like they expect Jesus to go to Jerusalem. They're expecting greatness. We talked about that last week, the arguing. We're going to be great. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. They have the same argument here in Luke 9. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He is going to retake the throne. He is going to be worshipped, and we are going to be wealthy and rich and have power. And so they're arguing about greatness, and they're fighting that Jesus would be received as this physical, natural king. And that's why in Luke 9, they're, they're ready to, to, to call down fire to the town that won't make preparations for him. Like, this is the king that we're talking about. And if you won't receive him, then you will be punished. And so the, the, the disciples have this really warped view of what does it mean that Jesus to be king? But this is not what Jesus is thinking. And we know when Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, what is he setting his face towards? He's setting his face towards the cross, to a different type of kingdom. But what we see here is we see a shift in what Jesus is doing with the disciples. I've said it to start my sermon, the words, follow me. Remember those words? 13 times, follow me, follow me. He's calling people, follow me, follow me. But here in Luke 9 and Luke 10, the instruction or the, mess, the mission isn't follow me, we're gonna go into Samaria. Follow me, we're gonna, what is the instruction? You are being sent in front of me. We see a very significant change in the call of the disciples here in Luke 9 and Luke 10. Not follow me, but instead, I am sending you ahead of me. Jesus knows it is time for him to send the disciples to the places that he intends to go. It is time to empower the disciples to be the leaders, to be the mouthpiece of Jesus and the gospel. And so we see this shift, and he's saying, I want to go and do work there, and I'm sending you to go and to do that work. And, and this this makes the disciples uncomfortable. There's a little scene in Luke 9 in between some of these passages, Luke 9, 57 through 62. Okay, these three disciples come, and as they're being sent by Jesus, the 12 and the few and then the 72, there's this scene in Luke 9 where these disciples, they, they really want to follow Jesus. And these three men, the first one says, I really like this guy. He says, you could almost picture him singing this song, like this is a worship song. I will follow you wherever you go. 
makes this really broad, hopeful statement. Then the next two talk about when, when do we follow you, Jesus? Can't we go home before we follow you, Jesus? Can't, can't I go home and, and bury my father? Can't I go home and say farewell to my family? And it kind of comes off here in, in Luke 9 that Je- is Jesus being insensitive and harsh? Like, what, why is Jesus telling these three di- disciples, like, answering them so harshly? What is he doing? Jesus recognizes. He recognizes it is time for them to go. I don't think you can read Luke 9, 57 through 62. I don't think you, you want to read that and say, this is, this is describing how we are to care for our family. I don't, I don't think the point is, we can't take care of our family before we go on the mission field. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. But I, I think in this context, with these three passages, what Jesus is saying is, it's not time to be worried about your home. There's this urgency with the message. I am, I am on my way to Jerusalem. I am on my way to my death. Now is the time get out of your homes, and it is time to go. There is no reason in this specific time, Jesus is saying, for you to go home, but it is time to go now. And so Jesus is saying, I'm ready to send you. It's time for you to go on ahead of me. I need you to do the work that I've been doing. And then you continue. You can see in the orange, what's the message? Like, how is Jesus teaching them to go and to make disciples. He says in the orange, verse two, proclaim the kingdom of God and heal. In the middle passage, go into the village of the Samaritans, make preparations for him. And then in Luke 10, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Nevertheless, no, the kingdom of God has come near. And so you can kind of see some similarities. They're healing people. And they're proclaiming the kingdom of God. They're healing people. Okay? You can't just, you can't just skip over that. Right? We've been seeking to imitate the disciples. Okay? And so if we're being sent like the disciples are being sent, and in two of the three passages, the instruction is, I want you to start healing people. Well, then we have to pause and ask the question, I mean, should this be more of a focus on our, in our ministry? Should we be healing people more? Why, why doesn't this happen? Oh, that's a big topic to talk about. Okay, so let me just say just a, a few quick things because I think we need to know the message, right? If we're gonna go, what is the message? Does God still heal people today? Absolutely he does. Absolutely, God still heals people today. What's changed? God can and does still heal people today. You read through through the rest of the gospel, then you get to Acts, and just, just mark down every time you see something about healing in the book of Acts in the first church. Acts 3, John and Peter, Philip and Paul, There's a scene in Acts 3 where they're walking into the synagogue. John is, and there's a man that's lame, can't walk. And John says, get up and come to church with me. Like, get up. 
and he's healed, and everyone's watching. And it says that people are wondering what's happening, and they preach the gospel because this man being healed allows them to proclaim the power of God in salvation through the healing of this man. And many people see this man who's healed, and they say, we will believe in that gospel. And you see it over and over. Acts 12 and 18, healing and healing, where it paves the way for people to come into the kingdom of God. And so, well, what about us today? Well, God still can heal, and he still does heal but I think we've gotta be careful about what we expect with the healing. Can God heal? Absolutely. But what we see in the New Testament, the further we get from Acts, the more the church is established through the rest of the New Testament, the less that we see healings in the New Testament. What's, why is that? Well, I think healings were primarily used in Acts and in Luke 9 as a means by which they could communicate the truthfulness of the gospel to people who didn't know. And so to, to verify their message with people who were unaware, the healing would speak to the truthfulness of the word. And so as the gospel had been preached and as the church had been established and founded, you go further and further in the New Testament, in Corinthians and the epistles, there's less instances of healing because the church has been established. So Paul talking to Timothy in the pastoral epistle, Timothy's telling him about his stomach ailments, and what does Paul tell him? He doesn't say, be healed. He says, drink wine. He says, this is how, this is how God wants to care for you. And so as we get further from that establishing of the church, we see less and less healing. But here's what we've got to see. Here's what we have to know. When God's establishing his kingdom to people who don't know him, you, it can happen. It does happen. I've seen it happen. I've been a part of it. But it is, is it the normative work of God in the same way as it was in the first church? It isn't. And it's okay that it isn't. Okay, what's the second part of the message? Not just the healings as part of the verification of the message. The second part of the message is the kingdom of God is near. Well, we've already said, I've already mentioned how they didn't understand what that meant. They're thinking, uh, the, they're thinking of a physical kingdom, but that's not the message that we proclaim. What does Jesus say in John as he's talking about the kingdom? <clears throat> Let me read it for you. John 18, 33 with Pilate. Pilate says to him, he says, I don't have the verse on the screen. It's John 18, 33. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews, Jesus? And here's, listen to Jesus's response. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would, not have been, would have been fighting for me, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. So Jesus is saying, I am a king, I'm not a political king, and I'm not a military king, but I am king. I'm a spiritual king, and I want to sit on the throne of your life. I want you to bow down and worship me with your heart and with your life and not to be enslaved by anything else. And so Jesus' kingdom that he is bringing, it is not physical, but it is spiritual. And what's the message? That, that we all worship and bow down to all sorts of kings in our little lives and that they will lead us not to the light of life that we just read about in John. It's not gonna lead you to the light of life, but that when we worship and serve under these false kings, it will end in our destruction. 
And so the message we are to preach is that Jesus is the true king. We are to preach the gospel. If you go back on your sheet, verse 6 of Luke 9, they preached the gospel, the good news, that God came to fix the problem that they've made. The acronym that I use is I think about the content of what does it mean to to make someone a disciple is the acronym. I'll put it on the screen for just a minute. God, our sins paying everyone life. That God created us to be with him and our sins separate us from God. The sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. What's the content of what we proclaim as we go town to town? Jesus is the king that you need to worship, and he comes to free you from whatever it is that enslaves you, and you need to turn to him in faith. Well, what about the instructions? And we're going to have to move here. Jesus gives lots of instructions in these passages. So look at verse, look at the first and the third passages. I mean, very, I mean, he gives them all kinds of things. Don't carry a bag and wear your sandals and don't greet anyone and how long to stay and don't bring bread or, or money. Don't bring two tunics. Like, and what you see, like, these are very culturally specific instructions for, for Jesus to the disciples. Okay, I don't think these are instructions for us as we go to make disciples. Right? That's, right? That makes sense. Right? You, can, you can pack a bag if you're going on a trip. You don't have to wear sandals. Like you can bring a lunch. Like you don't, th- these aren't instructions for us. These were very specific instructions for this, for this specific time in this specific culture. And, and what is Jesus giving them with all these instructions? He's giving them what he believes is the most effective way. This is, this is an urgent message. He's saying, let me show you, let me help you know how to do this with these specific instructions. And so I don't think these instructions apply to us, but here's the question for us and for you and for me and for us as a church. I think these don't apply to us necessarily, but the question we should be asking is, well, what's, what's our instruction? Like, what's our strategy? Jesus had a strategy like he had a plan, you go here by two by two, you go here, if this person says this, you go to this town, this is what you carry, this is what you do, this is what you think about. Like Jesus very clearly sends them with a plan. And the question for us is, well, what, what's our strategy as a church? Like how are we instructing one another on going and, and presenting the message and sharing the message? I mean, there's all kinds of methods when you talk about sharing the gospel Okay, and I won't go through all of these. I'll put them up on the screen. There's pro- the proclamational method where you're standing up in front of a lot of people like Peter and Paul do in Acts. You, you, a bunch of people and you share the gospel to a large group of people. That happens in churches. That happens in rallies. You've got the confrontational method. I, I don't like the name confrontational. That really is encouraging us to go and do that. This is when you don't know someone and you talk to them about Christ. So like you meet someone at the grocery store and you, you, you don't know who they are or, or someone, at, someone, a stranger on the street or someone on an airplane. I mean, Jesus does this all the time. 
He does this all the time with the woman at the well, with different people, Zacchaeus and Nicodemus, the rich young ruler. There's an unnamed woman in Luke 7 that Jesus, as he interacts with people and he meets people and people cross his paths, he talks to them about the truth of believing and the, the truth of the gospel. And then there's relational methods, which we'll talk more about next week with loving our neighbor, but th- this is the strategy of, I, wanna, I, I love this person, and I'm going to get to know them, and we're going to share life with one another, and I'm going to serve that person, and when the time is right, and I've earned the right, I'm going to share the message of the gospel, because it's their biggest need. And, and, and so sharing the gospel is paved by the relationship you share with someone. And so a lot of people have thoughts about these methods or these instructions on how we might share the gospel, but some prefer one strategy over another. And I would just say, uh, there's no dichotomy between these. As we think about being a disciple, aka going and making disciples, I think we need to be ready and wise enough and bold enough to share the gospel in whatever way the situation is fit. In whatever way. To just, to just do relational evangelism is not gonna help the stranger you meet on the street. And so what we're saying, what I'm saying is, as we think about our strategy, we need to be ready to share that, that Jesus is the king. And do that by, do it in whatever, in whatever means necessary that some might believe. And I've just been thinking about this lately. I've just been, I mean, this is, this is, I don't want to say the weakness. This is where, I could say that. This is where we need to grow. This is where we need to grow. Just, this is so important to, to following Jesus. Following Jesus is not just coming to church and reading your Bible. That over and over again, Jesus is sending people and, it's, and as I've just been reflecting on this, I mean, what would it look like as a church? What would it look like if we became laser-focused, laser-focused, all in on making disciples? As a church, I'm talking to the elders about this. How might we do, do more to make disciples? Because here's what you have to remember. Okay, if you could go back to the, the three steps at the beginning we're not just talking about evangelism, right? Evangelism helps you with the first step, right? Become a disciple. Like sharing the gospel helps someone understand who they are and who Jesus is, and they put their faith. But that's not, that's not what making disciples is. It, it, Jesus doesn't tell them to go and just proclaim the gospel. What does he say? Make disciples. And so how can we as a church not just be evangelistic, but then also come alongside of people so that we can help them grow as disciples. We are making disciples. This is what a disciple is. Become, grow, and go and make. And so how can we as a church do a better job of sharing the gospel and then when people come to Jesus, teaching them, showing them how they might grow as one? And so how do we help someone? So let's say you lead someone to Christ this week. You go to work, and this guy you've been praying for, and you lead him to Christ. How will you help this person become a disciple, not just a convert? Well, hopefully you bring them to church, you teach them some of the habits, and you start to show them 
how they might grow with Jesus. And so it's my prayer, this is my prayer for us as a church. How can we do this? How can we help not just be evangelistic, but be disciple-making? Do we need to start, do we need to plant churches? If church, if church is the key for us as growing as a disciple, through the habits and through the community and service, and it, should we plant more churches? I got an email from someone in Mechanicsburg. They want a church that, that focuses on discipleship. Do we need to go to Mechanicsburg? Do we need to go to Palmyra? Do we need to go across this county and say, we want to help people grow as a disciple, that when you lead someone to Christ, you bring them to the church that's in their neighborhood, and then we'll train you on how to make disciples. I was talking to someone at Spooky Nook. Elders, just relax. I haven't made any big decisions here, but Spooky Nook. Say, hey, what if we did a service at Spooky Nook on the weekends they had tournaments? How cool would that be? Hundreds and hundreds of people, like, we take church to them, we do church at the nook, we share the gospel, and we start to disciple, and then as they go home, we've got to help them find a church so that they can not just be a disciple, but they can then grow as a disciple in the community of the local church. And again, you know, I get all kinds of ideas, but it's how might we focus not just on habits, but on going and making disciples, not converts, but disciples who are converted, who are then being walked through what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so I, I just invite you to pray with us. Pray with us. How might we as a church do a better job of evangelism and training and teaching so that we might be following Jesus when he says, go and make disciples? My encouragement to you is that evangelism happens best through the individual, hands down. So for you this week to be thinking, how might God use me and the people that he's put in my path to share the good news of Jesus the King? And then when the Spirit opens your eyes to see that person, may you have the boldness and the courage and the gentleness and the compassion to share the gospel. Let's pray. Father, this is so important. I recognize that, Father, that you are sending us in front of you still today. And we don't just follow you through habits, but that we follow you by being sent to places that you intend to go, places that you intend to do work at. And so, God, I pray that we'd be faithful, faithful to follow you, to go where you're sending us. And as we think about the people in our lives, God, I pray that you would bring to, to my mind and to our minds and to our hearts the people that we cross paths with, that we might be messengers of the hope that we have in you, of the hope that we have in you as our king, the rightful king, and so, God, I pray that you would help us, give us courage and give us boldness, give us wisdom and gentleness and patience. But God, I pray against excuses and that we would just be willing to share, share what you've done in our lives, share the message that we've heard from you. And so, God, as a church, as we think, how might we do a better job of not just evangelism, but of training and teaching? God, I pray that you'd lead our, lead our elders and lead our staff as we think about what might we do so that we could, 
could help people come into your kingdom as disciples and then to grow. If that's planning churches, if, that, if that's going to the nook, if that's sending more missionaries, if that's doing more events here in our community, what, if, whatever it is, God, we, we want to be a church obedient to the Great Commission. And so, God, I pray that you would lead us and teach us and convict us. And then may we go. May we just go. And so, God, I pray that you would especially lead us as we, as we consider what might we do to be obedient to the call to make disciples. It's in your name we pray. Amen.